Welcome to State Road 49, an audio program that shares extraordinary stories from everyday people. I'm your host, Aaron Freienberger, and I'd like to thank you for coming back. Make sure you keep an eye on your podcast feed and on Facebook. We have some important information coming up in the next couple of months. Today's guest is Amber Dash, musician, blogger, and worship leader. Recently, we caught up with her, and she shared with us what it was like growing up as a preacher's kid. And here we go. A lot of what I saw growing up was just like the feeling of you have to be perfect all the time. And, you know, even like you have to go into ministry, like that's a big thing, like your parents or, which my parents never forced that on me. because I was a weird little kid and I had the weirdest little personality and I was scared of everybody and everything. So like they knew not to push ministry on me because they knew I would run the other direction. My dad became a pastor when I was nine And um, he pastored that church until I was like maybe 10 and a half, 11. It wasn't a very long period of time because we came into this church and it was a mess. The pastor that had been there previously had been there for years and years. And it was just a devastating thing that they had left this church. We were just put in a weird situation. Uh, My dad stopped pastoring, if that's, you know, kind of possible. But um, the denomination my parents have been in for their entire lives, um, if you feel called to the ministry, you, it's kind of like a schooling that you start through, um, but it's not through like an actual school. It's like just through the denomination. And so my dad um, felt called to the ministry. He knew he had been called for a really long time. And he started his licensing is what they call it. And so around this time, he had gotten his like second, I think, license. There's like four or five that they have to get. So this specific church, he didn't have to have all of his license to pastor this church. So they called him. That's how that denomination works, is like the state office will call and say, hey, we have this church, are you interested? You say yes or no, and they take and present your name and it's um, like a vote. So they pick the person off of paper that they feel like is the best fit for their church. I don't remember them telling me it was happening, but I remember things that happened at that church. Sure. My parents were pastor's kids, and I remember things that happened up until I was like six or seven that went back to my dad's struggles with being a pastor's kid, my mom's struggles with being a pastor's kid. They weren't even gonna have children. I was an accident, you know, quote unquote. Um, They didn't have me until they were in their 30s. And then for sure when they had me, they were like, we're never going into ministry. Like, we're not raising a pastor's kid. Like, we're not doing that to our kids. 
preacher's kids are just kids. And whether they were born into being a preacher's kid, whether it happened when they were 9, 10, 11, they're just kids. And people can't put more expectation on the preacher's kid than they put on their kids. Because, I mean, like when you go home and you've got your kids, what do you expect from your kids? Okay, you cannot expect perfection from the preacher's kids just because they're the preacher's kids. Even the family, like, you can't expect the pastor and his wife to be perfect either because they're people. Just a lot of things, you know, for a nine-year-old to go through, you know, it was just weird. I just remember things being super weird, and then we left, and we went to a church for two years, and it was like a healing thing for my dad because I don't think my dad was really ready for the mess, I guess, that we had kind of walked into. My parents have always been in Alabama. Sometimes I wish they would not. The first church, I understood that things were not right, but my parents hid it better, I think, because I was younger, so I kept to myself more. I wasn't quite as nosy <laughs> when I was nine. So then by the time I was 12, then it was like I was nosy enough. Our house wasn't really big enough. So then it was like they couldn't really hide the crazy things that would happen quite as well, I guess. Are these the same problems that, which is why the, the first pastors left? I don't really know, like, why they actually left. Like, I think it was to go to a bigger church, maybe, okay. with more money. I don't—the first one, I don't remember right. enough to even know. Um, the second one, that was the case. They were just leaving to go from a church that ran, like, 65 people, you know, to go to a church that was running, like, 120 people. And then the church that—now, the church that they're at now— we went there when I was 15, and that was, I mean, that was the case there as well. It was just going from a church that ran like 80 to going to a church that runs like 150. What are these problems that your parents are bringing home? So a lot of people that go to church aren't necessarily Christians with their lives. So like they'll say, you know, I go to church, I'm a Christian, but then there's no fruit. It's just lip service. It's not like a walk it out, like mind heart thing. It's just a, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I'm a Christian. So, you know, when that's your lifestyle, if the pastor does something that you don't like, that he really feels like is a God thing, then you lash out at the pastor instead of going home and, you know, like praying through that. And is this is this the Lord? Like, do we believe this is Lord from our pastor? You know, are they living right to go home and pray about it? Or are they just saying, you know what, I don't want to change anything. It's been this way for 50 years. I want it to stay this way. It's those couple of people that either have money or have influence and have sway in the church. Like smaller country churches may only have a couple of people that, you know, have any kind of clout. So it could be those couple of people that don't like change and don't want things to change that can get aggravated and be mean. My dad's pastored four churches, so the third church that he pastored was the one that me and my mom both had more of a struggle off of, not just him. My dad got a 
hold, I guess, of that, oh, I want to pastor a bigger church, you know, thing. So we left the church he started pastoring when I was 12. We left there after two years, and um, they called, and they said, hey, we've got this church. Are you interested? Like, they just built this huge building. It would be the setup for your lifetime. You know, they hyped it up, you know. And um, it was definitely a bigger church with more money, and so um, we ended up there somehow. Um, their pastor had been there years, and it was devastating for them that they had left, but it was the same situation, bigger church, more money. And we later found out that they had already decided that they were not gonna like whoever came in. Even though they voted for my dad, they had already made up their mind they were gonna run him off, whoever it was. It, did, it wasn't just that it was my dad, it was whoever it was. Little by little, just little things that my dad would feel like, you know, let's change this. It's going to make it better, you know, because this was like the mid-2000s. So you're at that crossroads of are we going from full contemporary? Are we still doing hymns in contemporary? It's like this whole just like transition in the church. And um some things have been going on with the council and just the church money without elaborating. And my dad wanted more structure there. And my dad's a very accountable person and he um, he just wanted to know like where money was going and why money was not there. And you know, so that made essentially everybody on the board mad. And so little by little, they would just, say things that were hurtful, do things that were hurtful, and before we knew it, 100 people was down to like 30 people. It was frustrating because I was finally to that point, like I had already gone through, well, do they like me, do they not? But. You know, I was like 12, 13. So by the time I was like 14, 15, and you're at a place where you know everybody hates you and your family. Saying that, it was definitely a place where I saw a lot of emotion at home for my mom. And, you know, I started connecting with different emotions and feelings. And then my dad, there were days we would come home from church and he would just lay in the bed for two or three days and just cry. And he was just like, I don't understand, you know. and. Everybody goes through that. It's like, well, I thought this was the right place for me. I thought this was the right step for me. And then it's like, oh, maybe it wasn't. Like, maybe we shouldn't have done this. By the time I had turned 15, there were like two teenagers left. It was just really hard for me because all my friends lived in the city we had moved from before. And you can't really, outside of the denomination, all the drama and all the things that happened don't really make sense. And so, you know, you couldn't really talk. I couldn't talk to anybody about it. It was like, they don't understand. They're not preacher's kids. They just don't get it. And then, you know, you have your friends who are preacher's kids who you think their dads have it made at their church. And then you find out later they did not. Um, so um, when I was 15, I really started battling with depression and suicidal thoughts. And it all kind of came to a head one night. The main lady in the church, somehow I ended up on the phone. She had called my mom 
and was just dog cussing my mom, and it was just like this big thing. And I hung up and went in my room, and I was like, God, I just don't think I can do this anymore. And I mean, I was a mess. I just remember that night, I was just like, I want to die. And like, I had never, you know, like through struggling with friends and just, do they like me? Do they not? Like, that had never been something I had dealt with. I feel like that was the first time I really remember feeling like I heard the Lord speak to me. I had seen a human video, which is just them acting out a song, and it was called Worth It All. And I just remember, I was like, God, I don't know what to do. I don't feel like any of this is worth it. Like, I just want to die. And I felt like the Lord was singing that song to me in that moment. And I was just like, okay, this is weird. It was like in my room, it was like the song just kind of filled my room, which like I said, I had never had anything like that happen before. I was sitting there like, what is this? What is happening? I love this song. Where is it coming from? Because I was just like, this. it wasn't even like the girl that sings it. It was like a God's voice. And I was just like, this is so weird. I had grown up in church, so I knew what I thought what I thought it was supposed to be, like, because it wasn't like I wasn't freaked out. I mean, I was kind of freaked out, but I wasn't like scared freaked out. I was like, whoa, this is weird freaked out. It was like peace and just like, so I knew because I felt peace, like what it was, like it was like the voice of the Lord. So after that, I really hung on to that song. And from then on, through my teenage years when I was just struggling with stuff, it was always like I would have a moment where I felt like the Lord was speaking to me through a song. And it may not have happened like that again. It may have been I was somewhere going through something and I heard a song that was like, oh my gosh, like it just hit me in that same way. Music was a big part of Amber's life and inspired her to become a musician and to use it in her worship. Today, she releases music with her husband to inspire others. Once again, thank you for listening. I'm Aaron Freinberger, and this is State Road 49. Matt Willingham, and Garrett Schultz. It is executive produced by the Heartland Christian Center. Visit their website at hcc3d.com. That is hcc3d.com. This episode was recorded, edited, and mixed by Garrett Schultz. Music by Thomas Kilobas. For more information about the program, visit us at facebook.com slash stateroad49. This program is produced in Valparaiso, Indiana. 